Thanks, Jason, for that. We appreciate all that you do here at St. Matthew's and definitely during these challenging times. And as uh, he said earlier, we are going through a series on Nehemiah about how he was charged or felt called by God to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem uh, after the Babylonian exile. And at St. Matthew's, we're going to be focusing on, in this series, on our ministries and the church, on how we've gone through COVID and the pandemic and how we've changed and are rebuilding back into a new normal. So each week, we're going to hear about different ministry areas of the church, and we're all going to learn something about our church, how we managed the past two years, and what now looks like and the future will look like as we rebuild the wall back like Nehemiah did in Jerusalem. So today's passage is coming from the second chapter of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 8. You can follow along in your Bible, Bible app, or read the words as they are on the screen. And I'll be reading um, from the New Revised Standard Version. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. And so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lie in waste, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, Well, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, and the queen also was sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, I set him a date. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let the letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may grant me passage until I arrive to Judah. And a letter to Aspha, the keeper of the king's forest, directing him to give me timber to make beans, for the gates of the temple fortress, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I said, for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I had an instructor at Candler one time tell the class of preachers, he said, always remember this, words do matter, and relationships matter. And so in my life, I have seen that many times through, especially most recently. Back in January of 2020, my family and I sold our home and moved to a new home in Madison and into a new neighborhood where we didn't know a lot of people. And so we had to get to know our neighbors. And a lot of times in this community of Madison, we're busy folk. We don't get to know our neighbors generally very well initially. It takes time. It takes years. I bet there's some neighbors that don't live maybe a couple houses down from you. You've probably only seen a handful of times. It just takes a little while to build those relationships. And so when we moved to our new neighborhood, I was like, well, it's going to take a little while to probably get to know our neighbors, but, you know, we've got time. Remember, that was the end of January of 2020. About a month and a half later, the world shut down. Okay, I remember, you know, when you move into a newer home, you like to paint the walls and update things because it's an older home. So I remember one night 
being in my living room, painting the ceiling. I'm OCD about ceilings. I like them to all to match and be the same color and this and that. So I remember I was rolling the living room, and all of a sudden on TV, the president came to give an address, one of those My Fellow American addresses, about how they're basically shutting down things for the next two weeks to flatten the curve. Remember that? It's going to take only two weeks, guys. Just two weeks, this thing's going to be gone. And I remember, I was like, oh, wow, I hope I have plenty of bottle of water. Didn't think I should have plenty of toilet paper, too, but I learned that real quickly. And so they, they shut it down. Everything just got shut down for safety reasons, and we didn't really know how long it was going to take. Schools, I remember it was spring break, and it was a Sunday night, and we didn't know if the kids were going back. And I got a text from the school saying, oh, your kids are staying home. And that spring break lasted 180 days. And so all of that was going on. And so what did people do? Well, they learned to get outside, right? It was getting to be springtime. The weather was getting nice. Pollen was in the air. And so we all decided to go outside. And for me and my family, this provided the most wonderful opportunity of getting to know your neighbors, My neighborhood that I live in is what you call a front yard neighborhood, where everybody's in their front yards and not their backyards. Some neighborhoods are backyard neighborhoods where everybody goes in the backyard. And so we would sit outside. My daughter was trying to learn how to ride her bike. That's when everybody was trying to get a bike and go outside. And we really got to know all of our neighbors because they were in the same boat, especially the ones with kids. They needed to go outside. And so we got to know our neighbors probably the quickest I ever have in a new neighborhood, and formed wonderful relationships and friendships with those adults in that neighborhood and have them today. One of my most cherished relationships is that I got to know the retired Catholic priest that lives behind my house, Father Mike. And Father Mike always comes over and has the best chocolates because he's from Ireland, so he gets all these European chocolates. He has the best chocolates, and he gives them all to the kids And, of course, dad has to take his dad tax, is what I call it. I break off some of the chocolates, too, because that's going to make sure it's good. And Father Mike, once a year, will invite the kids and us over to his house just to have pizza. And so the first time I went to Father Mike's house, I thought it was just going to be just pizza. Oh, no. You ring the doorbell. He greets you. You don't go to the dining room first. You go to the living room where he has a card table set up, and he has... Shrimp cocktail, smoked salmon, crackers, cheeses, all of these fancy things. I'm like, oh, wow, this is how it's going to be. So we go and we, we sit down in the living room first. And we, we talk and get to know each other more and have all these fancy things. My kids will eat the crackers. And um, we have a good time. Then we migrate to the dining room where you'll have pizzas. And that's not just any pizza. It's like pineapple ham pizzas and fancy pizzas. Afterwards, he has ice cream with all the cookie things he puts in it. And then at the very end, he does magic tricks, which the kids love. And he does a little entertainment. It's a whole shooting match just for pizza. But that's one of my cherished relationships I have once a year about this time of year. We just did it last night. He'll come and knock on the door. Are you free for pizza on these nights? Uh, I'm free on Saturday night, Father Mike. And we come on over and we have pizza. It's great. when We've got great relationships. And so that goes back to where your words matter when you talk to people and how you talk to people. And relationships matter in life. This passage today focuses on, I don't know if you picked it out when I was reading it, basically on three relationships that Nehemiah had. He has a relationship with the king, first off. 
he has a relationship with God because of his prayers and his dedication. And then he has a relationship to his ancestral homeland and the people there, even though he may not have physically been there himself. But he has a relationship, a connection to that place. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we're focusing on rebuilding and as we focus on how relationships fit into that and how it has over the past couple of years? Well, first, let's look at Nehemiah and the king. When you read the first three passages, something sticks out, should stick out to you. It says, In the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. And now I have been, never been sad in his presence before. So the king asked and said to me, Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This only could be sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. Last week we read the first chapter of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 11. And at the very end, when he heard about the, the disarray and the, the struggles going on in his homeland, and he prayed, at the very end of that passage it said, I was the cupbearer of the king. That's an important position to have, especially as an Israelite, someone who's connected to the ancient Israelites, a follower of God, Yahweh. For this Persian king to have him as a cupbearer. See, Nehemiah was very trusted. The cupbearer was basically the food tester, the taste tester of the food. Whenever someone served the king food and served the king wine, Nehemiah would be the one that would taste it first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So the king's going to have to trust him, have extreme trust in Nehemiah, because it would have been very easy if the cupbearer didn't like you and wants you assassinated, that would have been a very easy way for you to get food poisoning and die. And so you had to be a trusted servant. And see, he was a servant because he also got to pick out the foods and pick out the wines for the royal court. And if he didn't do a good job, he wouldn't be the cupbearer. So he was a taste tester. He's the protector of the king, a trusted advisor. He's around the king a lot, so the king would be, Hey, Nehemiah, what do you think about this? Hey, Nehemiah, what do you, how do you see this situation play out? What would you do? They had a lot of those conversations. They got to know each other really well. Because it says, he noticed that Nehemiah was sad. It was insulting to be sad in front of the king in those days. Because it was such an honor and a joyous event to be in the court of the king. You should be happy all the time. You shouldn't be sad. It would be an insult. And anybody that was sad would be sent away or killed. Because you insulted the king. But you can see here that they had a strong relationship. Because he noticed the only reason why you could be sad is because your heart is sad. And so the king had a strong relationship with Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was afraid because... It was an insult to be sad in front of the king. So he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lie in waste and its gates have been destroyed by the fire? May the king live forever is something that Nehemiah probably has said many times over, showing his dedication to the king. But yet, it wasn't one of those situations where like, you see people and you say, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. You know, we do it all the time. No matter if you're good or not, right? You just say, oh, I'm good. It's the expected response. It kind of actually stops you in your tracks if you're passing somebody. Say, oh, how are you doing? Man, let me tell you. And you're like, uh, I didn't really want to know. But I'm about to hear it. 
Well, Nehemiah, in this moment, didn't say, oh, I'm okay. He said, why should I not be sad if the place of my ancestors lies in waste and its gates been destroyed by fire? And, you know, he didn't say Jerusalem right off the bat. Because Jerusalem actually had been kind of a thorn in the king's side because they liked to rebel and revolt a lot. He just said, Nehemiah just said, the place of my ancestors. Trying to draw that human connection for the king. Because what human being would not be sad if they found out their homeland was lying in ruins and having struggles? And so he's trying to make that connection with the king. And so then the king said in verse 4, he didn't say, well, that stinks. He said, well, what do you request? Nehemiah, my trusted advisor, my servant, my cupbearer, then what is it that you need? How can I help you to further draw in that connection of how strong the relationship is? And so what did Nehemiah do? Well, this points to the second relationship in this passage. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And then the king, then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. And so here you see there's a strong relationship with Nehemiah and God. Because in that moment when the king says, what do you want? He didn't just rattle off stuff. He checked with God first. In that moment he said a prayer to God. Now, it's important to also note, when we start out in the second chapter, it says in the 20th year of Nisan, it gives you a time frame, because if you look at the calendars, the ancient calendars, that would have been four months past chapter 1. So for four months, Nehemiah was troubled with the news of, of Jerusalem being in ruins and prayed to God for four months. And so he had been in prayer to God for a long time when he got to this point. And so when the king said, what do you need? He said another quick prayer and then laid out what has been placed on his heart, exactly what God said he would need to get to Jerusalem and to begin rebuilding the walls. Because the king said, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me and I set him a date. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given to the governors of the provinces beyond the river. So he knew he was going to get passage. He was going to have to have a passport, basically, to get there. He knew that he needed that, so he asked for that. And then he also asked for a letter to be sent to the king's forest, directing that uh, person in charge of the king's forest to give him timber that would make beams for the gates of the temple's fortress and this wall of the city, and for the house that he shall occupy. So he knew exactly what he was going to need. Because of his time and prayer with God. And God laid it on him. This is what you're going to need, Nehemiah. Which points to the third relationship. And that's to Nehemiah and his ancestors and his ancestral homeland. Because it would have been real easy for Nehemiah to, when he heard this news to be like, Well, that stinks for them, but I'm doing all right. I'm the cupbearer of the king and we have a good relationship. I get to live in the royal palace and eat fancy foods and drink fine wines. I very well can just be living for myself. But he did not. He had such a strong connection to the past that he felt called to ask the king for a leave of absence from this royal life to go to Jerusalem in ruins and to begin the hard task of rebuilding. Because he loved his people. He loved his homeland so much. He had such a strong connection and relationship to that. And so what does that mean for us here at St. Matthew's? What does that mean for us 
as individuals in our personal lives? What, is, what does this relationship piece mean when we look at these three relationships played out in Nehemiah chapter 2? Remember, words matter. Relationships matter. And so as we start to come back after these past two years, maintaining relationships has been difficult. While for me, I got to know people in the neighborhood really well, got to go on many bike rides and, and have new connections and new friendships that are strong to this day, it was very difficult, though, for the community of faith to maintain its relationship with each other, for the church to even serve the community in which it's, it was in because of all the health restrictions and safety protocols that were put in place. I mean, as Jason said, he was hired in the middle of all the lockdowns. And being a student pastor, part of your job is getting to know the kids. And it was nearly impossible to do that. It was very hard as a pastor myself to reach out and see those and communicate to those that were going through challenges in their own lives. Funerals, people still passed away and they needed their pastor. But how were you going to do that safely? How are you going to do the basic necessity of worship? We did it in all kinds of ways, from filming it and putting it online, from having a drive-in service and sitting out there in 90-degree heats and bitter cold Christmas Eve services. I burnt my glove trying to light those little lights, trying to block the wind. Remember that? I said, forget it. It's the light in your heart. We're going to go with that. It was a challenge, but we still did it. But maintaining relationships was a challenge. And I didn't realize that until we were in the middle of it all. Because sometimes just seeing that person on the Zoom screen just wasn't enough. You needed to be there for people. And it was hard for all of us to do that. And so that shows you that we are made for relationships. That as we are coming back from that, we're going to have to rebuild those relationships and make new ones. It's an interesting thing. As I was preparing for this sermon, I went through very few studies on this, actually. But on how much connection do two individuals need to have in order to form a friendship? There are a lot of studies on there about family relationships and dynamics and romantic ones. But there are very few on just friendships. Just friendships. But what I noticed is this. That in order to go from an acquaintance to a friend to a best friend, it takes interaction. I mean, it makes sense, but it takes interaction. Genuine interaction. So a lot of times we become friends with people at school because that's a closed little group. You're going to be forced to be friends with people you go to school with. As you get older, you make friends usually with your co-workers if you work because that's a forced interaction, a closed thing. Or you can go bigger, you can neighborhood, church, But how long does it take for you to have those interactions in order to form friendships? And this is interesting. They did a study of two individuals that worked together closely and two individuals locked in a room for two weeks, basically. And they counted up the number of hours of forced interaction. Well, obviously, those that were in the room, locked in a room for two weeks, formed a friendship quicker. When they left that room after two weeks, they called themselves best friends. And they counted up the hours. Initially, they were acquaintances. After 90 hours of close contact, they considered themselves friends. After 160 hours of contact, they considered themselves best friends. 
They looked at the two that worked closely together. After two weeks, they were still just strong acquaintances and co-workers. But they went home and slept in their own home. They had their own weekends and, and vacations apart from each other. But when they looked at the hours spent over a longer period of time, at 90 hours, they considered themselves friends. And then at 160 hours, which took months later, though, they considered themselves best friends. It's very interesting. So in order to form relationships, friendships, strong bonds, it takes time and interaction, which COVID made very, very difficult. And so I think in this passage today, we see why Nehemiah and the king were such good friends. They spent all their time together. They trusted each other. And so because of that strong friendship, when there was a need, the king was able to provide for that need. Because Nehemiah was constantly in prayer with God and had a strong relationship with God, he was able to go to God and seek his will and his calling and learn that he was supposed to go, Nehemiah was supposed to go with these exact requests and go rebuild the wall. And so what I want us to get out of this and what we need to learn today is that words matter and more importantly, relationships matter in life. And so uh, what I want us to do moving forward as a church is to be intentional on making multiple points of contact to those within our church family and those in our community. You have an ability, according to this study, to have 140 friends. You have that ability. Outside that ability, you have to push one off the boat and get a new one on. Okay? But about 140 relationships that you can have. That may seem like a lot, may not seem like a lot. To me, it seems like a lot to have a lot of good, you know, have friends, from acquaintances to good friends. We have the ability and design for relationships. So we need to be intentional on working on our friendships and relationships in the church. Not just passing by the hallway and saying, hi, how you doing? Good. No, actually say, how are you doing? How are you really doing today? And then we need to do that as a church body together to the community. Because there are a lot of hurt folks out there. A lot of people who need relationships. A lot of people where the world has shunned them. They may be a little different. And nobody wants to be their friend or be in a relationship with them. It may be that cranky neighbor down the street that no one wants to go and knock on the door and invite to the block party. But as the church body, we are called to do that. Over and over again, when you read stories in Scripture, the Bible is a book of stories, God's story for us. It is full of relationships, of people being together and people being in relationship with God. It's the ultimate relationship book. We all need people because when you are by yourself, when you are lonely, that's when the devil begins to attack. When no one's around, that's when the devil knows that you're at your most vulnerable. And he comes in for the attack, whether you know it or not. But when you're with people, they can build you up. They can support you in your greatest moments. And then when you're in the position to support them, you can support them. That's how we resist the struggles of the world. is by having those close relationships. And so today, may we all, as we journey through Nehemiah and look at the different aspects of Nehemiah's uh, rebuilding. May we reflect on that as a church, as St. Matthew's, 
but also individually. May we reflect on that and how we can rebuild, and may we focus on growing our relationships. Let us pray.